Right, good morning, everybody. Trust you've all got yourselves a coffee and perhaps a pastry. Quick show of hands. Um, favorite pastries? Can I have a, a show of hands for croissants? One. Wow, okay. Pan or chocolates? Chocolate brioche bun things? I think the panels win, but there were a lot of people that kept their hands down, so I'm guessing you're savory people. Um, you're welcome as well. So, for those of you that, that don't know me, my name is Jeremy. I'm one of the elders here at Real Life Church. I'm married to Becky, who's down in the front here, and I have three children. Joel, who's 17, and he's on words, so please be nice to him. And he's writing his A-levels at the moment. Then I've got Caitlin, who is 15, and she's writing her GCSEs at the moment. And then we have Isaac, who's also with us, and he's nine years old, and he is in year four. So that's a little bit about us and our family. If you don't know us, please do grab me or Becky afterwards and say, hey, we want to come and have a coffee or a, a lunch with you. We'd be happy to, to have you around. So... Today we, well, today we, we continue with our, our preaching series called Teach Us to Pray, which is a response to the question that Jesus' disciples asked him, and uh, we're going to look at that a little bit more. At the same time, we've been going through the prayer course in Life Group, and um, for those of you that have been in Life Group, I trust that that has been helpful to you, that it has um, been insightful and has inspired you to pray in, in different ways and has encouraged you to stay close to God. Just a, a quick summary of what we've been looking at there. Week one was why pray? Why pray in the first place? And we learned there from P2, keep it simple, keep it real, and most importantly, keep it up. And then second week, we looked at adoration, and remember, we had the acronym P-R-A-Y, and that helped us kind of understand our priority is, is to first and foremost to pause and to actually take some time to quieten down and then to, then to reflect and then to ask and then um, in after asking to, to yield. Then we looked at petition. And remember, in petition, we're, we're praying, um, we're asking God for something, and we looked at the fact that God can ask, answer. He always does answer, but He has the, the freedom to answer in three different ways. Remember the traffic lights, yes, wait, or no. And then in week four, we looked at intercession. And there we, we learned that what we really need to do is get informed. Intercession is empty if we don't really know much about the people that we're interceding for. Get inspired, get indignant, and get in sync. Then we looked at a tricky one, unanswered prayer, and we, rem we reminded ourselves that this is God's world, and we're fighting God's war, and at the end of the day, we live in the midst of God's will. And then, finally, we looked at contemplation this week, and I hope some of you enjoyed the, the silence in Life Group, which might be a, a change for some, but we learned about the silent enjoyment of, of God's loving presence. And next week, we're going to be looking at listening, which kind of moves on from contemplation. And then at the same time, we've been doing this on Sundays. We've been looking at this response of Jesus to, to His disciples' question. 
and we've looked at the Lord's Prayer, which is probably the most famous and used prayers in the world. It's, it's been learnt and recited by millions and millions of believers over centuries. And it's not the only prayer in the Bible, we know that. Not only is it not the only prayer in the Bible, but it's not the only prayer of Jesus. He prays in many other ways, but it was a response to this specific question from the disciples. And it's something that his followers have used to learn how to pray. And we also saw that it's a, a pattern of prayer. It's, um, it's, it's good to, to know it off pattern, to be able to recite it, but at the end of the day, it's a, a pattern that helps us shape our prayer life and prioritize each portion of, of what it means to be in communion with God and to pray to Him so that we don't kind of get stuck in one part of prayer and forget about all the rest. So we've looked at, at the Father. Remember, the, the very first thing that Jesus says to us is that we need to pray to the Father, and we need to pray to Him as, as our, our dad, but not as our daddy. He's someone that we, we love, and we have a, a close relationship with one, but He's someone that we have awe and respect for. And that follows into, hallowed be your name. Our first prayer to the Father is that He be glorified. And we need to remember that when it comes to God, His priority is His glory. And that may sound incredibly um, self-important, and it probably is for every single human being on earth, but when you're perfect and you are the creator of everything, your glory is actually the best thing for your people, for your creation. So the priority for God in our prayer is His glory, hallowed be your name. And then secondly, that His kingdom comes on earth that His kingdom comes here. And then we start looking at ourselves through give us our daily bread. And we learned that God cares about our most basic needs and the things that we think are maybe too small to bring to God. But at the same time, because of the fact that it's a family prayer, that when we pray and ask for our daily needs to be provided, our daily bread to be provided, we are also putting ourselves in a place where we offer to provide those needs for our brothers and our sisters around the world. Then we looked at forgive us our sins and forgive those who sin against us. And we were reminded that the price um, is paid for our sins, but we still sin. And every time we pray, we need to ask for forgiveness for those particular sins. We also learned that those that have been forgiven much are, are likely to forgive much. So for us as people that have been forgiven a great debt, we should be the very people that are able to forgive great debts towards us. And then finally, lead us not into temptation, where we learned that God does put us through tests and trials but never temptation. And we learned that um, we need to ask God to restrain us, not lead us into, but actually restrain us from temptation, to keep it far from us so that we would not be tempted in the weakness of our flesh to, to follow that. We've also been looking at some tips to help you in your, your practical prayer life through the week. And week one was read books on prayer, we looked at um, When You Pray by Philip Graham Riken and Prayer by Timothy Keller. Week two 
we challenged you to pray with others, and this Tuesday is a perfect opportunity for you to get together with your brothers and sisters at Real Life Church and pray. So be at church at prayer here at 8 o'clock in the atrium and get involved. Two hours of being with God and with His people as we intercede for many, many things across um, Sutton Coldfield, the UK, and, and beyond. Week three, we encourage you to have a place and a plan. So have a special place. Um, Stuart's fortunate. He's got a study in his house where he can go. Not all of us have a whole room, but we may have a place somewhere where we can set ourselves aside and commit ourselves to prayer where we're not distracted, and then have a plan. Have something written down. What are you praying for? Who needs your petition? Um, have, a, have a place and a plan. Week four, we looked at get information about the church around the world. This is about get informed. Find out what's going on out there. Believe it or not, this is not the only place that Jesus has his church. And this is not the only context that Jesus' church thrives in, that thrives in many different places around the world under many different circumstances. Find out a little bit about those people so that you can pray for them effectively. Week five, we said write your prayers down. This is so important when you're going through a dark place and you're not quite sure if you can hear God, to be able to reflect back on those prayers that you wrote down and to see how He's answered those prayers in your life through, through that time, is a great encouragement to continue praying. Week six, we said read others' prayers. I don't know about you, but something just sings inside of me when I hear a mature prayer. I don't, you know, you, you, get, you get prayers that are, we're learning how to pray, and it's kind of basic, but then you hear prayers that, that are beyond ourselves and, and are looking at things from a far bigger perspective, and those inspire me. They also teach me how to have a bigger view of what prayer is. So read others' prayers. Stuart suggested some books. They're on the email that was sent out after his sermon, and I can't remember their names right now, so I'm not going to try. And then today, I want to encourage you to not forget to just be with God. We've got a lot of tips through the weeks about things we can do, but it's really important that in prayer we can just be with God. And first and foremost, we need to remember this, that prayer is communion with God. It's not just asking things of Him. It's not just um, waiting for Him to answer the request that we make, but sometimes it's just about hanging out. And I'm reminded of that um, illustration that Pete Gregg gave of when he was walking along and God said, look at that tree. So he stood there looking at the tree and uh, he was waiting for this great word and, and, and God just said to him, it's a, it's a cool tree, isn't it? And he's like, yeah, yeah, it's, it's a great tree, God. But sometimes, remember, when God created Adam and Eve, they walked with him in the cool of the evening. It was about communing with Him, not just expecting things from Him. So, don't forget to just be with God in your prayer. So, we've looked at the Lord's Prayer, and today we're going to be looking at a parable that Jesus teaches immediately after the Lord's Prayer. And there's no break between the Lord's Prayer and this parable, so we should really consider it a part of his response to his disciples' request to teach 
them to pray. And um, when I was looking at this parable, I, I really thought, you know what? Prayer is a little bit like rugby. It's a little bit like a game of rugby, not in every way. I mean, you know, for one, in rugby, you've got an opposition that you're fighting to win the game. God's not the opposition. So in that way, rugby and prayer are not the same. But in this way, I think they're very similar. I haven't watched a game of rugby that's been won in the first five minutes. Almost every game of rugby that I've watched is won in the last five minutes. You can watch a game, five games of rugby, and they'll all be different. And um, you can be certain that every player on the rugby field is probably going to walk away with a little bit of bloodshed, feeling battered and bruised, extremely exhausted, and um, in later life probably have cauliflower ears, a bent nose, and a couple of other um, pieces of evidence proving that they used to play rugby, possibly not being able to walk up on stage easily. Uh, there, there's, there's evidence that they played this game. It's tough. And I've watched many a game of rugby where you, you watch in the first half and you think, oh man, this is an absolute wipeout. The opposing, the, there's only one team on the field. And then in the, the second half, it seems like the tables have turned and that, that team left and the game's won in the, in the final half. Um, in particular, I mean, South Africa are really good at this. They actually like to be punished in the first half be completely beaten up, and um, then come back in the second half. They've done it for many, many years. And I remember our first World Cup was a, a little bit like that. Um, and you know, the truth for me is, is I wasn't a big rugby player at school. In fact, I, I stopped after junior school. And I only really got interested in rugby again when South Africa got to play internationally again. That's, that's really when I started looking at it as a game. But even before those players get on the field, they get beaten up during training. And sometimes I can imagine them going home thinking, what on earth am I doing this to myself for? But at the end of the day, they know that what they are putting themselves through, putting themselves through all of that punishment so that they can win this game. And in, in South Africa's case, all those years back, it wasn't just about a game. It was about national pride. It was about galvanizing a nation. And so our team put themselves through an enormous amount of pain and punishment and perseverance so that they can come through on top at the end of the day. And in that way, rugby is a little bit like prayer. So here is Jesus continuing with his disciples in Luke 11, verse 5 through 13. And he said to them, which of, you has a which of you has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me, the door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you though, he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his 
impudence, because of his persistence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Jesus was a man of prayer. We know that. He was praying when the Holy Spirit descended on him like a, a dove in Luke 3, verse 21. He began his ministry with 40-day fasts in the, with a 40-day fast in the wilderness. That's in chapter 4, verses 1 through 15. Other times he withdrew into the wilderness to pray. He was praying alone before he asked Peter, who do you say that I am? In chapter 9, verse 18. Just before he was transfigured, he took Peter, James, and John up onto the mountain to pray in chapter 9, verse 28. He was praying here at the begin, beginning of our text in Luke 11, verse 1. As a man, Jesus sought his strength and his guidance from his Father in prayer. That's what he did. That's where he got the perseverance that he needed to continue with the mission that he had been given as a man. And from this alone, we should feel so motivated to make prayer more and more central in our lives. But it doesn't end there, does it? Not only was Jesus as a man praying, but he was also teaching his disciples. He was teaching us how to pray. And he made amazing promises to us about prayer. So he lived a life of prayer, and he taught a life of prayer. So from that alone, I have to say it must be the will of the Lord Jesus Christ that real life be a church of prayer, that all of us be given to daily prevailing prayer for personal needs, for the power of the Spirit, for the progress of the gospel, and for the glory of God's name. And here in this text, I think there are three directions, there are three teachings that Jesus gives us that we can, we can pull out and should encourage us as a people to not stop praying. And that's my takeaway for you. Do not stop praying. And when we heard Melanie talk about standing in the gap, what we look at there is a people who look and thank God for what Jesus Christ has done on the cross and also look in anticipation to what perfection will be like when he returns. And we stand in the gap and what God tells us to do while we're in the gap is to pray, to continue to pray without stopping. So firstly, Jesus teaches us to pray with a sense of security in the Father's love. I know you kind of go, oh, that's just obvious. I mean, we say that all the time. 
I know that might be obvious, but how many of you feel secure in the Father's love? Jesus knows that our hearts tend to feel like we're a little bit distant from God. And so he continues to encourage us with the fact that the Father loves us. Not like our fathers love us, but way more. Way more than our earthly fathers love us. He doesn't want us to feel insecure or uncertain in our prayers. And he shows this mainly by teaching us to call God Father. Isn't that what he did in verse 2? Father. Who do we pray to when we pray? We pray to Father. And then down here in verses 11 through 13, he unpacks that a little bit. He kind of explains what does this fatherly love look like? What does this security that's implied in the word Father look like? And in 11 through 13, it says, what father among you? And through the fish and the serpents. And then he says at the end, how much more? How much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The words how much more are so important. They mean that God is much more. He is much more inclined to hear us and help us when we pray than earthly fathers are. And you've got to ask yourself, why does Jesus talk this way? Surely it's because he means for us to feel secure when we come to pray. He doesn't want us to feel unsure of our acceptance or fearful that we'll find Father dismissive or unconcerned with us. This sense of security is, is crucial in the life of prayer and of worship. While we were singing songs before, earlier on, if we're singing those songs and we're unsure that God loves us, we will shut down. If we feel uncertain that our congregation loves us, when we're going through a hard time, we will hide away. Jesus wants us to be secure in the Father's love. Related to this, I just want to give you a, a, a quick aside, a quick word concerning um, sin. Because many of us think that there are times in our lives when there's, there's something wrong, and that's perhaps why God is not listening to us. That's perhaps why He hasn't heard us or answered us in, in the way that we'd hoped. And I'd like to just spend a little bit of time emphasizing a balance to that thought, and that thought is a biblical one, that unconfessed sin can shut the door of heaven. Psalm 66 verse 18 says, if I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear. And I know so many people who will read that scripture, and they'll forget the rest of the Bible, and they'll walk off with that, and they'll say, well, there you go. There's not many days in my life when I don't sin, and that's why God doesn't hear me. It's true. And that kind of truth really should make us search our hearts after every prayer that doesn't get answered. Did we fall short because of sin in our midst? Did we fall short because of attitudes or, or actions that are displeasing to the Lord and, and those have hindered our prayers in, in some way? We should ask ourselves those questions. Those are healthy and that scripture, when applied correctly, encourages us to do that. But what we shouldn't do 
is elevate the condition of unanswered prayer more highly than the Bible does. God answers the prayer of sinners. Every single prayer that's been answered in the Bible is a prayer made by sinners, not perfect people. And you can become paralyzed in your prayer if you do not focus on the cross and you do not focus on what Christ accomplished there. I could show it from numerous Old Testament texts where God hears the cries of his sinful people whose very sins got them into the situation that they're crying to God to take them out of. They put themselves there because of their sin and they're crying out to God for deliverance and he answers them and he sets them free. But I'm gonna show it to you from this text. First of all, in the Lord's Prayer, verse two, Jesus says, when you pray, say, when you pray, say. And then in verse four, he continues the prayer and he says, and forgive us our sins. If you join those two together, all you get is, when you pray, forgive us our, when you pray, say, whenever you pray, say, forgive us our sins. Whenever you pray, say, forgive us our sins. What are the implications of that? Jesus is asking you to ask the Father to forgive you your sins as often as you pray, hallowed be your name. His assumption is that you would need forgiveness, that you would seek forgiveness every time you pray to God. His assumption is that you are always sinning. You're always committing a sin that is going to need forgiveness. Nothing we do is perfect. It doesn't matter how many relationships we've made right, we come to the Lord as sinners, every single one of us, and God does not turn away the prayers of sinners that pray like this. He doesn't turn away the prayers of sinners that are repentant. The second place I, I see this taught is, is in verse 13. If you then being evil, Jesus says to his disciples that they are evil. And he did not mean that they were out of fellowship with him. In fact, he was talking to them. They were there. And he was not turning away from them because of their sin. Neither does he assume that them being evil means that they are not able to do good because he says, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children. What he meant was that as long as we live in this gap, as long as we live in this fallen age, even us, even his own disciples will have an evil bent that pollutes everything that they do. But that doesn't keep them from doing a whole lot of good. And it doesn't keep them from being in communion in God's presence. We're simultaneously evil and redeemed. That's the truth of where we walk right now. We're gradually overcoming our evil. It's called sanctification. It's a big word, and I can read lots of books about it. It's a great word. Go and find out about sanctification. But we're gradually overcoming our evil by the power of the Holy Spirit. Our corruption is not completely wiped out when we're saved, except in a legal sense in heaven before our Father. 
So what we need to do is we need to recognize sin, we need to fight it, we need to cling to the cross of Christ as our hope, and then God hears us, and He answers our prayers. So coming back to the main point then, Jesus wants us to be in no doubt, absolutely no doubt about our Father's love. And with that in mind, He wants us to prevail in prayer without doubting. And this is where it's like rugby. By prevailing, I mean hanging in there when it seems that all hope is lost. Persevering, persisting, not giving up, keeping on asking and seeking and knocking at heaven's door until the answer comes or until God says in an audible voice to you, stop praying. And I know that being told to prevail feels inconsistent with, God, uh, with Jesus' direction that we should feel secure in the love of the Father. Um, we're prone to ask, well, if, if God is, is more caring than our earthly fathers, then why would He sometimes be slow to respond to our, our prayers? It doesn't make sense. And it's a legitimate question to ask that. We, we need to consider then, if that's the question, why? Jesus chose to put these two ideas so close to each other. He tells the story in verse 5 through 8 of the man who goes to his friend's house in the middle of the night and knocks on the door and asks for bread. And the answer from the friend is, nah, I am not getting up. My kids are in bed. The door is locked. In that day and age, there might have been animals in the house. The lights are off. It's dark. Everyone's asleep. And I don't care if you, my friend, I'm not opening that door. That's kind of what was going on here. But because of his impudence, because of his persistence in knocking and saying, well, I've got a friend that's just arrived and I need three loaves because he's hungry and I've got nothing to give him and hospitality is a really important thing in this day and age and I'm going to be shamed if I don't feed him. So I'm going to carry on knocking as embarrassing as it is to me and as quiet as it is in the street because I need that bread. And so his friend gets up, not because he's his friend, but because he just wants to shut the guy up. So the guy gets what he wants. So Jesus tells us that story. And we all feel that that's a, a really difficult picture of prayer. Do, is that the way we approach our loving father, banging on his door, demanding stuff from him? But immediately in verse 9, Jesus says that there is a lesson to learn for us because he goes straight into talking to his disciples directly, talking to you directly, and he says, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. And there's three things in that one line that, that stress the importance of prevailing, not giving up in prayer. Firstly, for those of you that have studied Greek or you're sick and tired of hearing this, the truth is, when you're talking about the present tense in Greek, it's continuous action. So it means seek and keep on seeking. Ask and keep on asking. Knock and keep on knocking. The second is the fact that Jesus commands this continuous action three times. And he repeats those same words in the next verse. And then the third thing that stresses that is, is that these three words kind of 
get increasingly closer to the answer. So if you think about um, asking, as it were, someone walking down the street and asking for directions to the house. I'm asking for the house. And then you go seeking. You've been given the directions and you're looking for the house. Then you get to the house, you found it, and you're knocking on the door. You're much closer to the answer once you're knocking at the door. And it starts off with asking, which is simple. It doesn't require much movement, but seeking does. And knocking requires a fair amount of boldness. It's one thing to find the house. It's another one to bang on the door at the middle, in the middle of the night and wake everyone up. But it signifies earnestness and maybe even desperation. So Jesus clearly wants us to be like this friend who kept knocking. He wants us to prevail in prayer. But then he makes a sudden turn in verse 11, and he, he shifts from the image of, of a grumpy friend to the image of a caring father. And I guess the, the question is, what's the point? The point is to show us that prevailing prayer is important for us. And he stamps this truth on our mem memories with this unattractive image of a friend who, who won't help without being bothered into helping. But then Jesus qualifies his point in verses 11 through 13 by saying that God is not like this friend. He is like the most caring father imaginable. So yes, God sometimes gives us what we need only after a, a long season of prevailing and persisting in prayer. But no, it is not because he is uncaring or insensitive or unable. Why then does he postpone the answer? Jesus doesn't tell us directly, but he does give us an indirect indication. He says in verse 11 that a, a good father will not give his son a serpent if he asks for a fish. In other words, a good father will only give his children what is good for them. And this is the only answer that Jesus gives to our question in this text. When the Father in heaven gives us a slow answer, when, when he expects that we prevail for a season, it's because he is giving us a fish and not a serpent. He's giving us what is good for us. There's something in the prevailing that is good for us. There's something in the asking and the seeking and the knocking that we need, and he knows best. We've got to keep the simple fact before us. God is Father, and we are children. The Father always has the right to do what is in the best interests of the children, regardless of whether the children understand it or not. If this wasn't so, then what we would be saying when we pray is that we should run the Father's house. That we should be the Father, and we should be, and He should be the child. And in this case, that would mean that we're ruling the universe, and God should learn from us how to do it. And here's the balance. Prayer has never been, has never meant that God should stop being God. I know we all know that, but let's just remind ourselves of that. We do not have the wisdom or the grace to run the universe. God is God, 
and he will continue to decide how to run the universe in the best way. And sometimes that means that if we ask for a fish, he will not give us a snake, but he might give us gaviscon or ibuprofen or a grapefruit. We may not always understand what he has given us, but we need to trust that what he has given us is what is good for us. The utterly amazing thing to this is that he has ordained to, to include us in running the universe. He actually does respond to our prayers. We don't pray in vain. He is our father, and when he hears his children, he responds. He's not deaf or indifferent or powerless. He hears and he acts. So the promise that will encourage us in, in prevailing prayer is, is simply verse 10, and that is that everyone who goes on asking receives, and he who goes on seeking finds, and to him who goes on knocking, it will be opened. God is not unresponsive to our prevailing prayer. And then finally, Jesus gives us a, a, a teaching that is, in a sense, circling all the way back to the beginning of the Lord's Prayer, and that is namely God-centeredness. Jesus teaches in verse 13 that our prevailing prayer should be a prevailing for the Holy Spirit. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? It's no accident that Luke tells us in Luke 3 verse 21 that while Jesus was praying, the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove. Or that the outpouring of the Spirit at Pentecost came as a climax of a 10-day prayer vigil. Or in Acts 4 verse 31, that when the church had prayed, the place where they gathered was shaken and that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Prevailing prayer is the pathway to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I know many of us have read countless books on historical revivals and if you look for one common thing, it's not about the fervor of the church, it's about the depth of the prayer that goes on before that revival. Prevailing prayer is the pathway to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And if you think God is distant from you and He's ignoring you when the Spirit delays, listen to this encouragement. Please listen. When you prevail in prayer for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, more is happening in your life than you would ever know. There is more happening in you through this prevailing than you could ever imagine. God waits because our prevailing is good for us, just like training is good for a rugby team. You don't get to win straight away. Don't lose heart and fail in the very thing that Jesus here is telling us that we need, the prevailing prayer. Worship team, can you come up? So, 
You're going to say, so Jeremy, what, what do we do about this? And, and I guess the application is very simple. Can you please pray um, and continue praying? And you know what? Don't stop. Do not stop praying. When you feel like you are distant from God, as Mel said, do not stop praying. When you feel like you want to hide from people, get yourself in front of people, be with them, be honest with them, pray with them. Let's be busy with God-centered prayer, with a a sense of security in in the love, the fatherly love of God. And, And let us have a new resolve to prevail and persist in prayer without doubting His love. And so importantly, let us prevail specifically in praying for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We all need more of the Holy Spirit. This nation needs so much more of the Holy Spirit. Let us pray for His power, for His gifts, for His fullest blessing, all the while rejoicing that the prevailing itself is a great work of the indwelling Spirit of the living God. Isaiah 62, verses 6 through 7 says, Upon your wall, O Jerusalem, I have set watchmen all the day and all the night. They shall never be silent. You who put the Lord in remembrance, take no rest and give Him no rest until He establishes Jerusalem and makes it a praise in the earth. And a little bit further on in Luke, we're told that Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. And at the end, he says to them, and will not God vindicate his elect who cry to him day and night? So Lord, we, your elect, let's stand, let's stand. So Lord, we, your elect, stand before you and we commit ourselves, we resolve ourselves to persisting in prayer, to pray before you day and night, to be watchmen on the walls that will not be silent, to be watchmen on the walls that will, will not rest and will not give you rest until you establish Jerusalem, until you return again and establish your kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. We will not rest. So, Lord God, hear our prayers. And for many of you, right now, you're going, Jeremy, I totally agree with you, but I'm so far from that. Can I ask you just to be honest right now? Can I ask you just to to raise your hands? I don't care if you feel like praying or not, to raise your hands. And I'm going to pray for you. So, Lord God, I know there are so many of us amongst, so many of us here that love you. We'll never turn from you. But the truth is, if if we're honest, it feels like we've been disappointed one too many times. That we've been let down, that you haven't answered our prayers in the way that we would like. And Lord, I pray on behalf of each and every one of us that feel that way now. Holy Spirit, that you would come and that you would restore our hearts. That you would soften our hearts again. 
that you'd remove the bitterness, you'd remove the poison from inside of our hearts, that you would change them from stone to flesh again. And Lord, that you'd help us to yield to you, to acknowledge that much of our disappointment is because we have undue expectation of you. And Lord, we give you the right once again to answer our prayers, whichever way you will. And Lord, to teach us what a gift it is to be able to persevere in prayer and to stay in your presence, fighting day and night for an answer, knowing full well that we are fully loved by you. So, Lord God, we come to you repentant. We ask for your forgiveness, and we ask that you restore us. And now, if you had your hands open and you were being prayed for in that moment, I would encourage you as we enter into worship to open your mouths, to sing those songs of worship, and to pray those prayers that are on your heart with persistence, asking, seeking, and knocking until God answers. In Jesus' name.